if the U.S. government, the media, the legal system, and the church can't keep democracy alive. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this. Welcome to a state sale. I'm Lori Lattimore Volkman, and today I'm talking with David Quick, a former journalist who also ran for office in our very red state of South Carolina this past election. And we're going to talk today about the state of our democracy, the state of our media, the state of our climate issues in the United States and across the globe. So, you know, just a few light topics, right? Fine <laughs> so, <Not> with me. <laughs> thank you, David, for being here. Great to have you, you with your background, having been a journalist and having run for office. You just have an interesting perspective. Well, thank you for observing that. And thank you for knowing that, I, you know, I don't know everything and I don't, you know, <laughs> think I do. But, you know, the past four years has been kind of very transformational for me. I had to come to terms with some things. My dad was a Methodist minister. And so he always talked about hearing the call. Well, in his world, that would be hearing the call of God to be a minister. Right, you right. Know, but, but I took that, you know, another step and in, in, in know that your intuition tells you things and you, you have to follow that. That's, that's a calling too. And um, so anyway. Before we kind of dive into all the big topics, let's, let's kind of work backwards. So last month was quite a month, right? <laughs> the last few weeks have been unusual to say the yes. least. Prior to the insurrection, prior to January 6th, were you worried that that kind of thing could happen? Or was it more like, yeah, it could, but it, I, I really doubt it won't. Like, where were you on sort of the reality of that situation actually coming to fruition? I fully expected something like that. They were talking about it for easily 10 days before it happened. And I even talked to a neighbor. I was like, you know, I wonder if people are going up there on January 6th to counter protests. I watched stunned when I was watching this unfold on TV, which I think a lot of people did. And, and also, you know, my, my initial reaction was, wow, you know, they'll totally militarize anytime there's a Black Lives Matter right. march, but they barely showed any force in protecting the Capitol on this day. That was my first reaction. So yes, I expected it. I didn't expect it to the extent of like these yahoos going into the chambers. I mean, that, I mean, you know, sitting in the, in the house speaker's seat, I hope that we don't lose the reality of that that happened and, and, and how serious it was, you know, in America, we have a very short memory yeah, and uh, we've been trained to like be shocked and be over it within right. a news cycle. Politicians that are like saying, oh, let's forget about this. Let's talk about unity and all this stuff. And it's like, they were ready to get you guys too, you know. It's been remarkable to me to watch. Remarkable and depressing. It's still so much about the, the party or so much about Trump. I just, I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I just hope that the majority of us will continue to stand up for, for justice, law and order. Right. In the, in the first degree. If we don't hold people accountable for inciting a riot, doing the riot, you know, 
what's the future? That means it'll just be more likely to happen again in the future. Right. And really, even before the November election, were you concerned that Donald Trump's claims of fraudulent voting, because he was setting the stage for this, of course, you know, for weeks before the election, were you ever afraid that he would win in his effort there? Or does it seem like in a way he has? I didn't take anything for granted of him even winning the election legitimately. I could see maybe because he's such a sore loser, you know, him not conceding or not accepting the results for like, you know, the first couple of weeks or maybe the first month, but to, to, to just double down every day, every day. I didn't put anything past this guy because he is your classic authoritarian dictator somewhere between Mussolini and, you know, your banana republic dictator that right. was willing to strong arm to get his way. And if he had, it would have been the end of our democracy. I mean, the democ democracy is already hurt. Right. It's already been damaged. One more term of Trump and we would have, we would have been the Roman Empire. It would have been done. We watched him for four years prop up any other dictator, whether it was Erdogan or Putin. I mean, we yeah. could not say anything good about the Western European leaders and was constantly excusing the bad behaviors we saw from the dictators or praising them. I mean, it was outright. It was unbelievable. Right. Clearly, that was the type of leader he wanted to be. Maybe I should say we, we dodged a bomb. Um, <laughs> Touche. The one thing that is a big question to me, he was so inept in handling the pandemic. If we hadn't had the pandemic, if he could have been reelected, because I think that was the final straw for a lot of moderate Republicans, people who will vote. They don't really pay attention too much, but, you know, grandpa died and, you know, my wife got sick and... My kids aren't going. And I think it was enough combined with the rallying of black voters, indigenous voters, Hispanic voters to a lesser degree, because a lot of them supported Trump, which is still mind boggling to me. All those forces and how much did COVID tip the scale? Maybe history will unravel that. I, yeah. I don't know. American voters tend to really rally around the leader when there is a crisis. And so if he had just shown the, a modicum of leadership. He was just incapable. Incapable. Not a scintilla of empathy in his, in his DNA or, you know, in his soul. I think if he had just stepped aside and said, let's listen to our scientists and, and worn a mask, but he was such an egomaniac, that, yeah. uh, a megalomaniac, that he, he wouldn't even put on a mask and it's not that big a deal. In fact, they say that people look more attractive wearing a mask. Did you, did you hear this <laughs> study know. that I they had pictures that. of people where they, they, they didn't have a mask and they wore a mask and the pictures where they were wearing a mask, people were, were saying, oh, you're more attractive when you wear a mask because it covers up half your face. Yeah. So, hey, you know. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you had an epiphany over these last four years, maybe changed your ideas of what you wanted to do. So tell me a little bit about that. I was working at the Post and Courier as a writer, not covering politics, you know, as a features writer. As a journalist, you're rightly told, and I agree with this, don't put a bump sticker on your car. Don't go to a rally unless you're covering it. Don't speak publicly in favor of any candidate. I believe in all that. Right. Totally. Never leave a doubt about our 
our objectivity to, a, you know, a doubting public. You know, I was sitting there going, oh my gosh, you know, this man is the environment, which I care about so much, was really target number one for him. I mean, a lot of people think of other things, but man, he did so much damage to the environment and to environmental protection. And then he went after my profession, <laughs> right. calling us the enemy of the people. Already there's, you know, suspicion and complaining about the media generally, always has been. He really created a lot more animosity. I almost felt like I needed to leave the media in order to stand up for the yeah. media. Obviously took office in uh, January of 2017 and by Earth Day of April 2018, I was in my 30th year of journalism. I always kind of designed my life to have freedom in my mid-50s as opposed to, you know, 65 or 70. I didn't have kids. I paid off my house. I did all these things. And I just said, you know, I am just called to leave this so that I can be a voice. Right. I had no delusions about how much power I had, but I did. You know, I had developed a lot of relationships, both conservative and liberal in the community. And I think it took a lot of voices and a lot of people creating their little ripple effects to make what happened happen this past November. That April, I went to my first East Cooper Democrats meeting, distinctly remember sitting there going, look, I don't. I don't have to hide or pretend or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like coming out of the closet. I can be this person that, that I was, that I just believed in fairness and justice and protecting the environment and education and all these things that I don't understand why we all, we all aren't on board with. Also, you know, worked for the state house candidate. We hadn't had a Democrat run for the state house in several years. And I, don't think it's healthy in the democ in our democracy to ever allow any candidate to run unopposed. He didn't win. I thought, well, you know, I think I might run for that spot in 2020. I didn't anticipate having a Democratic challenger. Filed at a, the same time that COVID was starting to crank up. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to, I can't ask for money. I'm not going to raise money to run in a Democratic primary. I end up losing that race by less than 100 votes. There were 3,500 votes cast. I didn't raise any money. He raised money, spent money. I just wanted to run on who I was, the reputation I had developed over 30 years of being in the community. And, um, and I came up short. It was kind of an interesting experiment. I wasn't brokenhearted. I, I just wanted to have a good Democratic candidate to face the Republican candidate. We had a good candidate. I, I would have done things a little differently. He raised uh, more than $70,000 and spent more than sixty, and lost to a Republican who raised and spent about six. To me, that there was a Trump coattail, even though Biden won the race nationally, we had Trump coattails in South Carolina that ended the the career of Vince Shaheen, which was, he ran for governor, fantastic legislator up in the Piedmont. Same with Mandy Powers Norrell, um, fantastic legislator who was very strong environmental. Uh, we had some really great challengers that ran professional campaigns, Catherine Whitaker and Richard Rissick for state Senate. They got pummeled. I can't help but think that there was a Trump factor in the state of South Carolina. And now we have them passing a really crazy abortion bill. Disgusting. Eliminating abortion bill. But in Charleston County, we still, we still did pretty good. 
I was hoping we'd keep Joe Cunningham in there. I knew it was going to be hard because of exactly the factor you mentioned, the Trump coattails. I was hopeful for Jamie Harrison, and I he lost by a lot more than I thought. He, I mean, I thought he yeah. had a chance yeah. to win, to eke out a win, and he kind of got pummeled too. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Trump brought out a lot of people who maybe did not want always vote that, you know, maybe have some racism in their background, you know, there's a lot of, you think? <laughs> a lot of racism in the state still. And I think a lot of people in Charleston County were demoralized by Joe losing, Jamie losing, uh, us coming up short, but we did win two seats on Charleston County Council. Right. Charleston and the sheriff. County yeah. And the sheriff, you know, even though that doesn't seem like a big deal, when you look at the numbers, I mean, it's basically, it was basically 55-45 blue for right. all these candidates. So there is hope. Georgia going blue, going blue twice in a very decisive way. There is an opportunity. It's a work in progress. Stacey Abrams started her work a decade ago. Right. We need to talk about the off season being a time when we, when we train. Right. When we get when we get ready for the season and you know that season will be here before we know it and we've got municipal elections this year that you know even though a lot of municipal elections are nonpartisan you can definitely pick and choose some of these municipal candidates based on things that we talk about on the state and federal level i've myself learned over these last 4 years how important it is to not take the local races and the local elections for granted, you know, and to be involved at every level. Prior to Trump being president, I paid attention to politics, but really much more on a national level. Then over the next four years, this guy's a monster. The Congress that we allowed is letting him do this. And the Senate is just letting him walk all over everybody. And then our states are passing these gerrymandering laws and you go down the list and you realize it starts with the school board and the city council and the state house and state attorney generals. Some of them have been the reason we've been able to survive this test on our democracy. The others, we realize it's been these Republican, very conservative minded and racist minded legislatures that have led us to the voter suppression laws that we have. We have got to pay attention and get active and protest because we also saw how effective that was. Right. And to that same point, as a, a climate activist, politics was the greatest thing in 2020 for climate. We needed to get bad guys out, good guys in. But to the point of local officials when, you know, we were leaving the Paris Climate Accord, when, you know, we were letting pipelines go through indigenous lands, when we were, you know, toying with seismic testing and offshore oil drilling. I mean, you know, you name it. Right. It were the cities, it was the mayors that picked up the slack. Between the environmental law groups taking on Trump and the feds in court, Hundreds of mayors in this in this nation say we're still on board with climate. So you had climate progress continuing on the local level. And, and in reality, that's one of the most effective things to do is because we can more effectively see what happens in a locality. What what's our climate issues here and how can right. we best address that? So the municipalities 
we'll be called upon more to address climate. I'm a part of the uh, Charleston Climate Coalition, which is a group of folks that kind of came together because we get offshore oil drilling and we get plastics in the, in the ocean, but we don't see the bigger picture that all those are related to climate. All of the horrendous things that Trump did to hurt our environment, it tended to not be the dramatic headline of the day. So you'd read about it, but it would be under all of the awful things he said at the press conference that day. So it, it got buried a little bit, but he undid over a hundred rules or regulations that Obama had helped put in place to protect the environment. I mean, they were egregious. The first clue is the dude didn't have a dog. I mean, <laughs> I know, right. I mean, what, what, what president doesn't have a dog in the White House? Yeah, I mean, now, exactly. now, now that's, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of joking a little bit, but I mean, it, it goes to show you that he had no connection to non-human animals. Yeah. When, when, you know, I mean, just from a public relations standpoint, you have a dog. I mean, you don't even have to, <laughs> damn, know, man. Are you I kidding know. me how many dog lovers there are out there? He had an aversion to, to, to nature. I've been studying a lot of um, indigenous culture, history, and they do things based on seven generations. What are we doing to our planet? to that seventh generation that's gonna be here. They deserve to have a beautiful planet with clean air and clean water and animals that blow you away. There is an urgency and we are losing species at like a thousand times the, the, the normal rate. So we need to protect life on the planet. And we're, you know, and that, that just, the opposite yeah. happened. We, the science is out there. We know climate change exists, but it's been very convenient for a lot of Republicans in particular to use climate change denial so that they get their, their agenda you know, for, for big business and big oil and big energy or whatever. But now that they don't have that majority, do you think we will start to see the climate deniers kind of fade away or is it, gonna, is it still going to be out there? Most of them have now graduated to, yeah, okay, climate change is happening, but it's not happening by humans. It's natural. Yes, climate has changed over time, but at a much slower rate where the earth can adapt. It's right. not been this spike. There is unprecedented levels of carbon in the air. So I think they'll devolve, maybe find some other way to divert attention. One of the things we have to do is kind of keep our eye on the prize and not fall prey to like, say this idea, oh, some technology is going to come along and it's going to suck all the carbon out of the air and we can kind of keep doing whatever we're doing. Right. Well, no, nature's already provided everything we need to draw down carbon. We just need to let nature do it. There is no technological savior or superhero coming. Um, <laughs> right. There's a new book Aaron Brockovich has written about water, which is connected to climate as well. That super that Superman is not coming. We've got to resolve to do better and not drain our aquifers and frack and, and ruin our water sources. I think that as long as big oil can influence politicians through money and through deceiving commercials, which I've already seen on TV, fact is, is that there are so many forces now uh, that are, are engaged in this battle 
And one of them is the financial industry. And there's been so much pressure put on companies by stockholders, by the public at large, by consumers saying, nah, I'm not going to buy gas. I'm going to go buy an electric car and screw you. I think the forces are inevitable. And I think as renewable energy is cheaper than fossil fuels, then the market factor will kick in. There is no just one political solution. We got we to gotta approach all of these issues in, in a multi-pronged way. And economics is one way. Personal responsibility is another. I'm not going to buy gas and oil anymore. I'm just going to buy me an electric car and plug it in. I think a lot of things are coming together, but we had to have that political element. It's such a big part of, from an environmental standpoint, of the picture. Local government, business community, allowing farmers to grow hemp so we can make our clothing out of hemp instead of oil um, is, you know, another step. You know, even in South Carolina, we're slowly letting farmers grow hemp, which is restorative to the soil, which again, helps the climate. Generative agriculture is another component of it. So when I was running for office, you know, nobody talks about agriculture, right? Um, but but I was talking about agriculture because I feel like that is something that in South Carolina, we're not taking advantage of enough as far as providing agriculture jobs, as far as uh, using regenerative agriculture practices and, and, and buying local. It's very encouraging to see what the Biden administration has already done. And I was very hopeful that they would you know, go big on environmental issues. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of things to, to fix healthcare, et cetera, but we have got to get the momentum going. And so Paris Climate Accord on day one, I love it. The push throughout the country, it has to start at the top when it comes to this kind of thing. And so if you see the federal government making an emphasis on clean energy, green energy, that helps big business go, all right, this is the direction we're at least going the next four years, we better get on board. And we saw it with uh, GM saying, yes, they'll go electric by 2035, right? Would that have happened? Absolutely it, not. It, it would not have happened. They probably had the plans to say, okay, if Trump gets elected, right. this is our game plan. No, I'm serious. You know, they're still big business. Tesla has really spanked, you know, the big three um, by seizing electric. Tesla's got a truck coming out, pickup truck. I mean, they're, they're yeah. going after even the Bubba's. I mean, you yeah. know, so... GM wouldn't have done that if Biden didn't get elected. I'm so happy that some of the groups that were very progressive, they're giving Biden his due. Biden came through. And I think that the progressive movement really helped lay that down. From 2015 of Bernie talking about climate change, that is the culmination of Sunrise Movement, of Greta Thunberg, of the mayors, of the Paris Climate Accord. Biden wasn't there. Obama and Biden did okay on climate. I mean, I think that they were stopped. They couldn't take on climate because of some of the other things that got in the way and took priority. And part of what I wonder, sometimes you have to hit bottom in yeah. order to really bounce back. And I think we truly hit our environmental bottom with Donald Trump. We're bouncing back. If we'd had a Hillary for the last four years, I mean, I, I don't think we would be in the hole that we are right now, but would we have had that sense of we really need to get this done? David Crosby lyric, I think, darkest right before the dawn. Right. After January 6th, I, I was like, 
that line in that in that song, maybe maybe this is just right before the dawn. You know, maybe this is just the last ugly push <laughs> before see. we get to where we need to be going, you know, for a new day. Yeah. I really do sense a new day, just full of hope. That said, we cannot stop. And I just really hope that we don't take any more steps back because we don't have the luxury of doing that anymore. As a former member of the media, now we are in a media landscape where people can pick and choose the information they want to pay attention to. It seems like there's a chance for the media to build back some credibility and get rid of this constant disinformation or at least hopefully discredit it so that it, it becomes the outlier rather than considered, you know, the same level of information, because that's what Trump did with it for the last four years. Disinformation was the same as information. I don't know um, if that landscape has much hope to change. There's so many more opportunities to put disinformation out there. We just have to be savvy. And I think we have to come to the realization that we're always going to have kind of this group of folks that don't want to hear uh, anything that challenges their worldview. We need to support our media. We need to support our local media. And we need to realize that just as much as we donate to a political campaign of somebody that we really like and, and want to win. We have an obligation to support our media. And that goes for the local newspaper that's unbiased. You know, hopefully they're owned by somebody who uh, doesn't put fake news out. Supporting one of the major newspapers in the United States, such as New York Times or Washington Post, is important too. I mean, some of the great content that I hear for free from the daily uh, podcast only because of the New York Times. And, and so the print media is important. We need to make sure that the PBS gets our support. We all need to support the media sources that are, you know, independent and objective. We can't take it for granted that we can read it for free on Facebook. You know, right. we need to support those things. So I think that's the only way we combat it. The genie's out of the bottle. There's a lot of forces working to continue to make the media a biased right-wing tool. We just have to find more people who believe in Information. the truth, <laughs> the truth, the truth. Yeah. And they're out there. I mean, I think this election is proof of that. They don't always show up to vote. I volunteered as a poll worker in North Charleston. I think I had a half dozen people just voluntarily, without me asking, who said to me, it's the first time I voted. And these aren't 25 year olds. Right. I mean, I was talking to people that were was 36 and 42 and approaching middle age that had voted for the first time. And I said, well, why'd you wait so long? I had to do my duty. And they were talking about Trump and they were just saying, this is just out of control. I had and the exact I same experience. I ended up actually having to help drive a couple people to a different polling place because they were by accident, you know, in the wrong one. First time voters, they were in their 50s and 60s. The whole reason was, I've got to get rid of this guy. I really learned in the last four years, and I think as a country, I do think progressive people in general learned, it is just not enough to be progressive minded. We have got to be active. And not everyone can really get out there and always be active. So you have to rely on those who can to energize everyone else to at least 
go vote and like at least right. be informed and get involved at, at the level that you can that is the most basic. I think this too. There are all these little things that suppress the vote. One of those factors is making people show up at a poll on one Tuesday during the week. They're working. We make it so hard for working class people. Maybe have a family. They've got kids to feed. They get off of work, long day of work, run to the polls, stand in line, starving to death. We really need to make our elections be a, a month long and give people ample opportunity to vote. Some of the older Black folks who grew up before the Voting Rights Act, they're good voters. Right, right. They're good voters. They lived not having that right. But I also think young people understood that they have this incredible power and they're going to exercise it. This country has a short memory. I just hope that the same level of enthusiasm in 2020 will continue on in 2022 and 24 and on. But I, I, I'll never hold my breath on that. Till my dying day, I'm going to be beating the drums for democracy and for voting and, and getting, getting registered to vote every damn election from now until I'm six feet under. Same. Because and I, that's what it'll take, because you're right. That's what, that's what it takes from a lot of people. I wrote 400 letters for the general election and 100 letters for the Georgia election. I had probably five people who also decided to write letters or postcards because of what I did. So you never know what your ripple effect is gonna be. It's just important to, to stand up and speak up and, 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 and not be afraid that people, go, oh, no political post on this, but you know, just go on and, and <laughs> go on because politics, yeah, I, I'd much rather be doing something else. It's not fun, it's not pleasurable to me, but it's a duty. And we should just think of it as, you know, the same as picking up litter, any sort of civil, civilized responsibility. Uh, it, it, voting is the same way. The people have the power and, and, and they showed it. I've never understood how this single group of kind of mostly white folks, usually people who have vested interest in staying rich or getting richer. <laughs> and, and the people that they dupe into, you know, voting their way through baiting them on race issues and uh, other like, social issues like, yeah, transgender people using the bathroom. How they trump um, white progressives, African-Americans, indigenous women, young people, who, who have, you know, a, a lot to care about for their entire lives. You know, what's the world going to be like when I'm 50 and 60 and 70? How that coalition doesn't just slam dunk the, the conservative side. We flexed our muscles the way I thought we could. Now, granted, we could have done better in South Carolina, but, you know, we, we won some, some good races we're going to have to drag, like we've always dragged people along for on civil rights, on women's rights, on gay rights, drag people along to say, yeah, slavery's wrong. We got to end it. And it's the same people. It's the same people that were protecting slavery and Jim Crow that are now trying to equate Black Lives Matter to these folks who stormed the Capitol and tried to, you know, right. 
hang Mike Pence, you know. Any more political races in your future? I honestly felt a little uncomfortable running for office because um, of the ego um, part of it. As you may know from this interview, I, I like to speak my mind and I'm not <laughs> very compromising. We need space for people who support others. And I'm so oriented towards the environment and, and, and women's rights. Big wake up call on Black Lives Matter, environmental justice issues uh, also very important. I, I think I prefer to be an issues person as opposed to one particular office and having to sit through issues like that aren't really related to some of the things that really uh, appeal to my heart. I'm kind of inclined to say that I'm one and done on <laughs> running for office. Bernie had an influence on me. I just really think he's done a, a great job in being a politician that really cares in a very genuine way. I'll try to find people to run and, and support people who run and, 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 and give them free labor and, you know, and, and echo their, you know, amplify their voice as much as I can. And I think that's where I'm at right now, but I'll never say never. I think it's a really important place to be too, actually, to recognize we don't all need to be the candidates running, right? But we all need to be supporting the good ones. But we also need to be, if, if you feel the call, run. Right. Run. Right. It's almost like a, a duty as an American, not only to vote. Right. And not only to volunteer and support your candidates, but, you know, run for office. Right. Whether it's school board or council, town council or county council, or there's any number of things that you can do to serve. And, you know, if you're not elected, so be it. I mean, I, I didn't suffer one moment of heartbreak <laughs> in losing. In fact, right. it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. It's like I ran, I ran my way. I stood up for what I wanted to stand up for and I lost. So be it. No big deal. Only Trump had had the same attitude when he lost in November. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't want to discourage people by saying what I just said, but because I think it's so important to run. On behalf of one of your supporters, I appreciate that you ran <laughs> and I well, wish it you. had turned out differently. And, I wish. And thank you for voting. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's great to meet you, talk with you. We should do this again a few months from now and check in on kind of where Biden is, where we are on all these issues and how we're doing, if you're willing. I'm more than willing. It's been, it's been enjoyable. I have so much hope other than, you know, the all the cell phone use of the millennial <laughs> generation because they get it. They get environmental protection, you know, social justice. They get importance of education reform and health. They, they get it. So I'm very hopeful we've turned the corner. We just need to make sure that we don't make an error like we made with Trump again, because he was clearly the worst president ever. And I really think that the circumstances allowed a major error, E-R-R-O-R, -R -R, capitalized right. error. It was just a perfect storm that allowed him to get elected. I don't know if he can repeat that, but I won't rest until, until he's done, like <laughs> gone from the planet. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Great to have Thank you. you. Great to talk with you. I, I think you 
you said a lot of great things that will that will mean a lot to a lot of people. So appreciate well, your time. You. All right. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy. Because America is better than this. <laughs>